0: Friends, is anyone you know, friend or family, a mutant? Ever since the death of the Honorable Senator Robert Kelly at the hands of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, we have sought to remain ever vigilant against the threat of the mutant menace. Remember, it is your patriotic duty to help rid America of mutantkind and their communist allies. Report all suspicious activities to the nearest sentinel or anti-mutant SWAT team. Together we can realize the dream of the National American Social Improvement Party of one people, one blood, one nation. Hello welcome to Point of Insanity Game Studios' Geekery and General Podcast. I am Al... And today I'm going to be doing another retro review of a series of modules for TSR's Marvel Super Heroes game, the MX series. This series is based on the story arc Days of Future Past. This is probably one of the most popular and influential story arcs in the X-Men franchise. Though, oddly enough, the comic series itself, it was only a two-parter. Now, the story takes place in two, two points in time. In the first part, it is in a dark future where uh, anti-mutant hysteria has taken over America. And as a result, anyone with superpowers either has been placed in the concentration camps or... They've been uh, killed or forced into hiding. So the remaining X-Men, they find a way to transfer the mind of Kitty Pride into her younger self. And the reason they're doing this is because they're trying to stop the assassination of a politician, Senator Robert Kelly. Now, uh, Senator Kelly... He campaigns on an anti-mutant platform, and it's said that he did have uh, some say in the projects that were created to catalog mutants as well as uh, eventually try to contain and exterminate them. And this would be establishing the Sentinels, which were large robots designed specifically for hunting down and either capturing or killing mutants. The MX series takes place in this dark future where Robert Kelly has been assassinated. And he was assassinated by the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. And the reason they did this is, well, they wanted to make a show of force. They felt that if they assassinated Senator Kelly, it meant that humanity would come to fear them. Unfortunately, it had... Mostly the opposite effect, and instead of causing people to fear mutants, it helped fuel the anti-mutant hysteria. Now, before I go further into uh, the review of the series, there is something I do want to mention. The X-Men series hasn't really shied away from politics, at least in my limited experience with that comic series. Uh, Generally, X-Men and mutants, they are seen as a stand-in for the struggles that oppressed minorities go through. Uh, You do have to keep in mind, though, that this series was written in the uh, early-mid-80s, and there are some political uh, overtones, or I don't know if that's the best way to say it, but... There are some political messages in the series, some of which are not very subtle. So just keep that in mind. Uh, again, this since this was written in the 80s, uh, they talk a bit about communists and the USSR in the series. And that's because, well, in the 80s, we were still in the Cold War, where, you know, you look at just about every form of pop culture, usually Russians were always pictured as the bad guys. And in some comic books of the day, well, that's no exception. And, I mean, it's honestly kind of remarkable that uh, we did have a couple of Russian superheroes with the X-Men, uh, mainly Colossus and his younger sister, uh, Ileana, I think is was her name. But other than that, Uh, Usually we saw Russians always pictured as the bad guys in movies and TV shows and films. So the first book in the series, uh, Nightmares of Future Past, uh, this one goes into quite a bit of detail describing the events that led the the world into being in its state of anti-mutant hysteria. Now after the assassination of Robert Kelly, the uh, people began to see the mutant menace uh, a lot more clearly. And this led to the development of the sentinels. And not only that, there was widespread genetic testing. So people fell into one of three categories. First, there were normal people. And these were the people that were considered genetically pure. Then there were... Analamus people, and these are people who possess mutant genes in that they have no powers themselves, but they have the potential to bear mutant offspring. So because of this, they are discriminated against, not as much as mutants, but still life is very tough for them, and in addition to enduring discrimination, they also are forbidden from having children. And then finally there are the mutants, which in this book they pretty much use mutants to include characters that the core rules would not define as mutants. So altered humans like Spider-Man or Captain America would be considered mutants under this caste system. So mutants are the ones who are most heavily hit by the various laws that they passed. And they were forced to register. See, everyone is forced to take a genetic test. And if you're a normal human, well, you're issued a, an identification card and you're allowed to go on your way. Mutants and analogous humans, though, were forced into ghettos. Another type of discrimination they faced is that, well, in this future, you need an identification card to purchase pretty much anything. And shopkeepers could, of course, discriminate against mutants freely. And in addition to that, uh, it is forbidden for mutants to work or eat in public restaurants. Um, Also, they cannot use public parks or museums unless they were set aside specifically for mutants so if you had mutant children in school they had to be withdrawn Uh, mutants were also forbidden to live in apartments or other multi-family dwellings with people who were just normal humans so they had to live in these said these ghettos where uh they were having to pay for they had to pay more for everything and were generally going to be ripped you know ripped off by unscrupulous individuals they're also forbidden to ride public transportation and they cannot be treated in hospitals or clinics unless they've been set aside specifically to treat mutants and finally all mutant organizations were outlawed and one of the things that they stress in this this book series is that all of this was only possible with a population that voluntarily cooperated with it. So if more people had stood out against this and said, hey, this is un-American, this is not what our country is about, it may not have gotten that far, but unfortunately it did. So this, of course, had a very negative impact on uh, any Analamus humans and mutants, they were outcasts, their businesses pretty much were corrupted. Um Since the Analamus humans and mutants were forbidden to have children, while well, it was hoped that the population would eventually grow old and die out, leaving only the quote-unquote genetically pure uh, people. Then came the time of the Roundup. This is when the Sentinels started to become more active so their mission was to protect humanity by rounding up all mutants and forcing them into concentration camps so this would affect all mutants it didn't matter if your character has subtle powers like i don't know maybe his mutant power is he can change the color of text in a in a book You know, something fairly minor like that, or whether you had more powerful abilities like Magneto or Professor X, it didn't matter. You were hunted down and captured to be taken to one of these camps, and if you resisted, you were, of course, killed. So this turned the country into a war zone. So there was a lot of urban destruction in uh, this time. And since the... Sentinels were given all this authority, the government was powerless to stop them. Eventually, the violence died down when there were fewer and fewer mutants with exceptional powers that could resist the Sentinels. So, this is the world that the Nightmares of Future Past takes place in. America has pretty much isolated itself from the uh, rest of the world. And it stresses that, again, since this is the Cold War and the USSR was considered this, you know, this evil empire, uh, they started to gain more influence. They were able to take over NATO countries, and not only that, uh, they also took over Central America. And the OPEC nations also shifted their allegiance to the USSR. They were able to do all this because the U.S. was too preoccupied with cracking down on mutants. And not only that, they also stressed that they worked communism into this as well. Mutants and communists were equated with each other, where mutants were genetically impure, while communists were ideologically and politically impure. So both needed to be eliminated. Now, one of the unique things about this series, it's one of the few Marvel supplements I've seen where it's the adventures not written for a specific group of of heroes. Most of the Marvel supplements I've seen, they include the statistics for the heroes that you're expected to use on the adventure. Uh, For example, one of them I have, All This in World War II, was written with the West Coast Avengers in mind. Uh, there's another one I remember. Uh, there's a the Cosmos Cubed series, and that one is written with the most powerful heroes in mind. So that's one where we're looking at heroes like the Silver Surfer, Thor, Hercules. You know these semi divine figures that have these great cosmic powers. However, in the uh, MX series. Most of the well known heroes and villains, for that matter, are either killed or in hiding. So, you're not going to have a party of, you know, Colossus and Captain America and Spider Man and Wolverine in this one, or at least it's not recommended because since this is intended to take place around 50 years in the future most of these characters would have just grown too old to really be actively involved in the fight. So while things are certainly tough for heroes in this setting, there are some pieces of equipment that they do uh, have access to that you would, of course, have to obtain on the black market. The most popular ones are, ma- are masking devices. So uh, these are intended to interfere with the sentinels. Uh, They do describe the Sentinels quite a bit in the series, and they repeat the descriptions in every uh, adventure, so that's actually helpful just in case you don't have a copy of the first book. Uh, Essentially what the, the Sentinels do is they've got this equipment that allows them to detect the presence of mutants. However, if you have a masking device, that protects you from being detected by a sentinel. There's also jammers, which do the same thing, but it's in an area. And another device that they have are called wild weasels. So these devices imitate the the signal that would be put out by a mutant. And usually they try to uh, make these weasels where they're going to give off the same signature that a renowned hero or villain like Wolverine or Magneto would give off because that's going to attract the and draw the uh, attention of any Sentinels in the area. There's also some special rules that go into effect. One of the things about Marvel superheroes, which is challenging, is karma. Karma acts like a combination of action points and experience points. You can use them to improve your roles, or you can also use them to gain new skills and abilities. You gain karma for accomplishing heroic acts. You lose them for doing things that are considered unheroic, such as theft, vandalism, or if you kill someone, you lose all your karma. However... One of the challenges in the nightmares of future past setting is it's going to force heroic characters to do some very unheroic things. So they actually do say that there are things that you do not lose karma for, um, or you might not lose as much, and that's because again you got to realize that you know heroes they may very well have to steal in order to get by. Also, one of the things I was thinking about when I was reading through the series to uh, prepare for this episode, I think what they were trying to do is they were trying to make the Nightmares of Future Past series to Marvel superheroes what Tomb of Horrors is to Dungeons & Dragons. So it's intended to be a very deadly adventure series where your characters are generally going to be faced with very overwhelming odds, you know, specifically the Sentinels. Now, Sentinels, uh, they do have some generic abilities they're given. In addition to mutant detection, they also have various devices they can use to either capture, incapacitate, or kill their targets. It's also uh, listed that they can be customized, So, for example, if they were going to be going after someone like the Human Torch, then they would be equipped with firefighting equipment or maybe extra protection against fire. But the ability that really makes the Sentinels deadly, and this is why you want to take them out as fast as you can, is because if a Sentinel, well, if you engage a Sentinel for more than three rounds in combat, its adaptive learning program kicks in. So it gets a bonus to its attack rolls against your character because it's able to predict how you're going to act in a fight. And not only that, it also shares this information with all the other Sentinels. So once that adaptive learning program has analyzed your character's abilities, any Sentinel you fight is going to have a combat bonus against you because, as I said, they all now know your powers, your abilities, and how you're going to tend to act in a combat situation. Another device that the heroes are going to have to contend with are inhibitor collars. And I believe they did have these in the series, and they would make use of them, but what these collars would do at least in game effects, is they would give you a minus seven column shift to your abilities and powers. So this could turn someone who's quite powerful, like, you know, Colossus or the Incredible Hulk, it would weaken them significantly. Now, in addition to this information, MX-1 also has a detailed description of how these mutant concentration camps are set up, as well as how you might go about trying to escape them and the different challenges that you would face. So there's a couple ways you can use this when you're starting your campaign. The uh, default assumption is that your characters are prisoners inside one of these concentration camps. So you're going to have to try to escape them. Um, or you can also play it with the a different way where your heroes are actually, you know, these mutant freedom fighters. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to save uh, someone from one of these camps. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special announcement. Senator Joseph McGrafton, chairman of the U.S. Senate's Select Committee on Mutant and Communist Subversion, will be in attendance next week at the Nazi Party's televised execution of the mutant criminal Lorelei. The execution will be broadcast on live TV. Viewer discretion is advised. The second adventure in the series is called The Expotential. Now, this one has a somewhat disturbing cover, at least in my opinion. There is a woman that is tied up to a post and she's surrounded by three sentinels that are looming over her. And the person that's attached to the post there is a woman named Laura Lee. She's essentially a mutant freedom fighter. Now, the plot of X-Potential is that the uh, this character, Laura Lee, has been captured and is going to be publicly executed by Sentinels on live TV. So, how you want to work this into the adventure is really up to you. When they do talk about how to set up this part of the, the series they encourage you to set it in your hometown. So that can actually be helpful because it gives your characters, or your players rather, a little bit of an idea of the population that they're dealing with, as well as the physical uh, lay of the land. They do mention there are some places that you're going to want to develop a little bit. The main one is the Rally Grounds. And this is where the... Uh, execution is going to take place. Now they introduce a political party called the National American Social Improvement Party or NASI, for short. Their slogan is one people one blood one nation. Like I said they're not very subtle about what they're, what kind of message they're trying to get across with uh, this series. So, the main focus of X Potential, there's uh, three main plot points in here. The first one is, as I said, the execution of Laura Lee, where what you want to do is you want to, ideally, you want to try to save her. And you want to do this because her, she has powers that she's used to help free mutants from, uh, sentinels. Before the rally where she's going to be executed, um, there are some events they give. They, they do give a nice little timeline. And this is the time when your characters can try to gather some information to try to rescue, uh, Laura Lee. And if you do rescue her, she does play a role in, a couple of the other later adventures. It also gives a timeline for how the events are going to unfold after the uh, execution, if it does take place. Now, one of the characters that they do talk about in this particular uh, segment is a person known as Senator Joseph McGrafton is the chairman of the U.S. Senate's Select Committee on Mutant and Communist Subversion. So he is the head of the Nazi Party, and he's the one who's going to be presiding over the execution. Now, spoiler alert, what's odd about McGrathen is he is actually a mutant, and he realizes that his best defense is to hide out in the open. So, of course, he uses masking devices to prevent himself from being uh, detected. But not only that, his power is emotion control. And he uses that to cause fear and inspire loyalty. They do give his speech, or at least part of it, um, that you might want to read. And this is, again, where he uses his uh, fear ability to stir up the crowd. Already, the genetic putrescence of mutant blood has devolved more than half of the earth to a state of communist, Asiatic, mongoloid barbarism, devoid of spirit, devoid of liberty, devoid of accomplishments of the mind and body, dedicated solely to one despicable goal, the total mongrelization and enslavement of you, your children, your grandchildren, and your nation. The nuclear destructive devices of the mutant communist cur, countries are poised and ready, ready to pour the fire of nuclear annihilation down the throats of our genetically pure children. The mongrel hordes stand armed and massed on the borders of Western Europe, the home and origin of our great civilization, the cradle of liberty, and the dignity of the human spirit. Their devolved allies already batter at the gates of Jerusalem, the home of the great religious heritage of the West, and meanwhile, in our very midst, the mutant, hidden, silent, deformed in soul stalks our sons and daughters seeking to inject his aberration into the very flesh of their flesh, blood of their blood. But we are not afraid. Our fear is overcome by our calm confident faith in the great eventual victory of our party under the leadership of genetically pure men. Of vision who will drive the mutant scum from our mist. Who will annihilate the slinking vermin who would poison our will. And who would lead us into the glorious sunlight of a new world. A world illuminated by the radiance of one people. Of one blood. In the one nation. So while he's giving his speech, of course, this is where the players are probably going to want to try to figure out a way to rescue Lori Lee. However, if you don't rescue her, whether by choice or you just, you're not able to do it, there are a couple other things you can still do in this adventure. Another key point is there is a group formed called the Mutant Affairs Committee. So this was a group of mutants, again, with uh, either very low-functioning powers or whose mutations were maybe just like different colored hair or skin, so nothing that would really be considered uh, dangerous. And what their job is, they try to get mutants uh, registered for the resettlement program. However, it's not all as it appears. Actually, what's happening is the when the they load up these uh, people into these cattle carts. Again, we're drawing certain parallels to uh, World War II and Nazi Germany. Uh, What they're doing is they're taking the them on this train ride to this uh, tunnel that's been constructed with a disintegration ray. So they take these people who they promise that they're going to relocate to safety they take them to a a special tunnel where they're basically disintegrated. Afterwards, the members of the Nazi party will uh, clean up the the cattle car and take any valuable non-disintegrated items that they might be able to find. So this is something that can be really challenging to try to expose. Uh, For example, one of the Ways you can do it is you might be able to take a a video and capture photographic evidence of one of these, you know, these uh, disintegration rays in action. But you gotta keep in mind the karma penalties there because while that would require 400 mutants to die in order for you to break that story. Though they do give you some other options as well. So it's hoped that By exposing this, this is something that's going to help turn the tide, where people are going to finally come to their senses and realize, you know, hey, by allowing this to happen, America has become no better than what Nazi Germany was. The final thing that you can accomplish in this adventure is trying to expose uh, Senator McGrafton as a mutant. Because by doing so, that will remove him from the control of the Nazi Party. Won't destroy it, but it's it's hoped that this will shake up the party and cause some chaos that you, the players might be able to use to their advantage later on in the future. I heard Mon Pa talking about the mutant menace last night. Golly, those muties sure sound like bad people to me. I sure wish there was something I could do to help. Well, no there is, son. You can join the Knights of Genetic Purity. Be one of those brave men and women standing up for normal, decent human beings. Learn how you can protect your friends and family from the mutant menace and their communist allies. See your local Nazi party official today. The third part of... This series, this is actually my favorite of the four adventures. It's called Reap the Whirlwind. The cover's actually pretty cool, too. It has someone in what looks like a modified version of an Iron Man suit uh, flying through a, a couple of Sentinels and destroying them while you've got a couple of Resistance fighters cheering in the background. Now, the plot of this one is you're starting to fight back. The text on the back reads, You've been hounded by jackbooted, white-shirted vigilantes. You've been hunted by killer robots. You've lived like an animal. You've had enough. Now it's time for mutants to fight back. Time for the hunted to become the hunters. You've learned to survive, to thrive, by striking from the shadows. A thrust here, a blow there. But now, word has begun to circulate of a mutant who's powerful enough to frighten the Sentinels. Of equipment which can give mutants a fighting chance against their oppressors. Of a man with a vision. A vision of a mutant army capable of overwhelming any foes. So as far as what you do in this adventure, uh, first you have to free a mutant prisoner named Glinda. Her power is she has the ability to mask the presence of a large number of mutants. So obviously this is going to be very valuable for your resistance. Now you might remember that I mentioned the Iron Man armor on the cover of the the book. Well, that's not for show. You actually do get to try to find and obtain this armor for use during the adventure. So as the adventure starts you learn that Glinda is being transported by train. So your goal here is to try to rescue her from the train without causing too much damage or commotion because it's a public transport as well. So there are going to be innocent uh, bystanders on the train. So you have to be very careful with uh, how you uh, do this part of the adventure. Well, once you've rescued Glinda, the next part of the adventure involves meeting up with James Rohde. And in this part of the book, you learn a little bit about what happened with Tony Stark. He grew fed up with what was happening in the country, and he moved to Canada. And while there, he tried creating a suit of armor that would allow them to go toe-to-toe against the Sentinels. He didn't quite make the perfect suit of armor, but he did invent a good suit of armor. Unfortunately, that would end up being his last invention. So what the players have to do is meet up with James Rohde so they can find the helmet. And then once you've got the helmet, then from there you can go and try to find the, the suit. The main part of this adventure, though, involves the characters meeting up with resistance fighters who take him down to Texas where they meet up with Sebastian Shaw. Because in this future, uh, Texas isn't quite firmly on the mutant side, at least not yet, but they don't like being told what to do. So they don't want the Sentinels interfering with their state. So, What happens is they're taken in by Sebastian Shaw, who informs them that there's a factory that repairs damaged sentinels and makes new ones. So what they do is he trains them on how to go about this espionage mission. you got to go into this factory, plant bombs, and destroy it. So that way the sentinels wouldn't be able to replenish their numbers and repair their injured as quickly. And, of course, you also have to try to find the rest of the suit. Because Rhodey is only able to take the characters to the helmet. The actual full suit itself, uh, the rest of it is hidden away in uh, one of uh, Tony Stark's secret laboratories. So once you find that suit, that's going to help greatly in your uh, quest to destroy the Sentinels. And then finally, this brings us to the last one, Flames of Doom. This one is not as coherently written as the previous two, because with the previous two adventures, to some extent, Reap the Whirlwind does play similar to a traditional D&D module. I could even say the same of Expotential, though it's a little bit more loose. Now, Flames of Doom as I said, is probably the weakest of the adventures in here, mainly because there's not really a coherent plot line to this one. So this one, you, you have to pretty much read through it and decide how you want to run this adventure uh, before you introduce your players to it. So in this one, uh, there are a couple, several old heroes that do make an appearance. Um, they do mention... Uh, Wolverine is still alive. Nick Fury is still alive as well. Uh, You also meet up with Cannonball and Mirage. Uh, Sunspot and Magma also have the potential to appear in this adventure as well. The way that this adventure is set up is that you have to try to find a way to end this conflict. And there's, it gives you four different options. The first one is you can try to start a revolution. So in order for this scenario to work, the characters have to come in contact with the Canadian Resistance Army. And if they manage to get the uh, Iron Man armor, as well as destroying the Sentinel facility, that's going to help as well. So this is probably the most challenging of them because, you know, again, you're raising an army to fight against the Sentinels. The second solution is you don't solve the problem. You only escape it. You set up a teleporter's railroad. So this involves gathering mutants that have teleportation abilities, and you're trying to, to, you're using those abilities to get mutants out of the US instead of confronting the sentinels directly now the third option is actually most true to the original story arc and this one involves going back in time in order to try to stop the events from transpiring this does have a a bit of a downside though because depending on how you know what the characters do there's a possibility that when they come back to the future, the roles have been reversed, where now mutants are the ones who are in charge of everything, whereas humans become these second-class citizens. And then the final option, pretty much the characters don't manage to accomplish anything, nothing changes, and your exploits over the last few adventures were pretty much just a Waste of Time. Now, I'd have to say of this one, uh, like I said, the one that remains truest to the story arc, the original story arc, is the third option, where uh, in this one, Sebastian Shaw manages to create a time machine, and he sends the characters back into uh, time, where he tries to suggest some points that he can send the players to. So you can try to stop the assassination of Kelly, try to uh, stop the Sentinel program or the passage of the Mutant Affairs Act. So those are some of the things you can try to do. But unfortunately, the way they they write it here, it doesn't matter where you try to go. Instead, you're sent to uh, the place where Project Wide Awake is meeting, and that's when... Sunspot and Magma make their appearance. So this is where you have that tough choice. Because essentially what Sunspot does, he has assembled this mutant alliance, and he gives the members of Project Wide Awake a choice. You know, either you turn control of everything over to me, or I kill you and I take it anyway. So essentially what happens is, well, if you assist Sunspot, and destroy Project Wide Awake, that's where you return to this future where the roles are reversed, which, again, everything is just as brutal and fascist as it was before. The only difference is now mutants are the one in charge instead of the people who are just normal humans. Or, if you manage to defeat Sunspot and Magma, Project Wide Awake continues, and... Nothing changes. So as, as you can see, some very difficult decisions you have to make, not just in that adventure, but really you have to make some difficult decisions through other parts of the adventure as well. Now, in addition to Sentinels, they do provide statistics and ideas for other types of enemies you might face. Uh, for example, they talk a lot about the Knights of Genetic Purity, uh, also known as the White Shirts, because they wear white shirts. And these are supposed to be uh, similar to the like Nazi, the Gestapo, and the, the Stormtroopers. They also give statistics for anti-mutant SWAT teams. So these are SWAT teams that have been specially trained to uh, take on mutants. They also talk a little bit about hounds. This is something that's elaborated on in some of the later X-Men comics, but if you remember the character uh, Rachel Summers, who was the inheritor of the Phoenix Force, uh, the daughter of Scott Summers and Jean Grey, uh, she comes from an alternate future where she's a hound. These are psychic mutants who are forced to hunt down other mutants and she has this skin suit with spikes that she's forced to wear as well as having scars on her face. So that gives you some ideas as well because there are mutants that are going to try to hunt you down as well. And those can actually be uh, more challenging than the Knights of Genetic Purity uh, because well the those are just regular people, but here you're superpowered individuals fighting other superpowered individuals. So how might you use this in your campaign? Now I think the way they want you to use it is they want you to start out with your characters in one of these concentration camps. You escape, you manage to hook up with a resistance cell, and that'll eventually lead you to the other main plot point, such as rescuing Laura Lee, uh, eventually finding the Iron Man armor, destroying the Sentinel Repair Facility, and then eventually meeting up with the Canadian Resistance Army to try to figure out what you're going to do to take America back from the powers that control it. Now, I worked this in a Marvel campaign that I ran a few years ago. I did it a little bit differently. In my campaign, it started out in the present day. And, you know, they we didn't start with the Nightmares of Future Past scenario right away. Instead, what we did is, you know, we did some normal superhero adventures. Um, I led them through Murder World, you know, and then they went on, uh, did a couple other Marvel adventures that I had, as well as some ones that I had designed on my own. While well, they met an opponent in their journeys called Red Scare, who was essentially a, a Russian version of Iron Man. And when they fought against him the second time, um, there was a great explosion that the party was supposed to die in. But what happened is I had Uatu the Watcher throw the heroes into the future so they wouldn't die. And the reason he did that is because he foresaw that uh, in the a few decades, an alien fleet, a hostile alien fleet, was going to arrive at the Earth and pretty much decimate everyone. So he, the only way that humanity would stand a chance is if there were superhumans that could defend the Earth. Well, Dr. Doom, he also was aware of this approaching fleet, and he was making his own plans. Uh, so in that particular campaign, he eventually became empowered uh, by the power cosmic and The campaign ended with them having to defeat basically a godly incarnation of Dr. Doom. That's when I ended that campaign, because it's like, you know, after you've defeated a cosmically-powered Dr. Doom, one of the greatest villains in the Marvel Universe, what else is there to really do? You know, it's kind of hard to make a campaign any more uh, epic than, than that. So what happened is when the players were transported to this future, I played around with their minds a lot. For example, they had befriended the sheriff of the small town that they were operating out of. And in the future, he comes to their rescue. But eventually it's found out that he's a mutie lover and his he's basically killed, his corpse is mutilated, hung from a tree with a sign on his, his uh, shirt that said, MUTIE LOVER. So the players got to see that, and they got to see other people that they that they had helped and that they worked with in the past, um, sacrificing themselves so the players could avoid being captured. When I did the X-Potential segment, instead of using Laura Lee, since she's pretty much just a generic character they made up, I used Storm in her place. Because early in the campaign, they had the chance to fight alongside uh, Storm. And then later, they found themselves having to team up with uh, Wolverine and Magneto. Oh yes, and one of my players also made a deal with Loki. But we're not going to get into that. So, <laughs> like I said, it was a very fun, challenging part of the adventure. And I think that if you do ever have the chance to run it, it, it's a lot of, it shows a lot of potential. Whether you want to start it where you know the characters have to escape this concentration camp or you want to do what I did where they are thrown into the future and then once they've resolved everything they're allowed to come back to their own time. Well, that's going to wrap this episode up. I'd like to thank you for tuning in. I'd also like to thank several of my friends for their assistance that made the production of this episode possible. I'd like to thank Chad and Lou from the Musically Challenged podcast, as well as Zach from the New Jedi Archives for uh, lending their voice talents to several of the sections. And I'd also like to thank my friend Tom Shelass for... I think that's how his last name is pronounced. So uh, if I mispronounced that, uh, sorry, dude. But uh, he composed the music that was used in some of the segments as well they were used with his permission and if you would like to check out some of his other works you can look him up at bandcamp.com his last name being spelled s-c-h-l-a-i-s so that's tom shilass.bandcamp.com thanks for tuning in and have a good evening or morning or afternoon whatever it is, wherever you are, and happy gaming. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at POIGamestudio.